chapter 1, we talked about the idea that there, no one has any excuse uh, when it comes to uh, believing in God, seeing his invisible attributes. They've been clearly seen. Uh, no one has a, an excuse to deny God or to deny his role in both the creation and his authority in creation. And uh, one of the things that, that we touched on briefly, but that, that I do want to recap, uh, is question number one. What patterns emerge in the behavior of people that deny God or his authority? You can look back at some of the verses. We talked about this a little bit. But what are some of the patterns that emerge in someone that doesn't see God as uh, in, in the way that, um, let's see here. They knew God, but they didn't glorify him or give him thanks, right? We talked about that. And maybe they could see, maybe they could see a design, maybe they could see a pattern, but they didn't really attribute it to anything, or maybe they knew God existed and still did not glorify him or give him thanks. What patterns emerge in the behavior of people like that? One of the things that it says is that they become futile in their hearts. What does that mean? Futile in their thoughts. Futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. What does it mean to have futile thoughts? I don't want to have futile thoughts. Why not? NIV says foolish. Okay. Foolish thoughts. Very good. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, when they thought they were wise, they were being foolish. Um, have you ever experienced? I have. You put your foot in your mouth, right? You know how that feels. That does not feel good at all. It's one of the worst feelings, and that, that's the idea right? Futile in your thoughts. What if everything that you attempted failed? How does that feel? There is no substantive progress being made. Um, uh, It talks about their senseless hearts were dark and strong language, right? And rightfully so. When they thought that they were wise, they were actually foolish. They exchanged the truth for a lie and rather worshiped the created thing. Yes. When things happen to these kind of people, they don't give God the credit, even when good things happen to them. And therefore, they don't give God thanks for those things. And then it goes further down the road of that kind of thinking, and they get to, they start relying on themselves, thinking that they are making really good decisions because good things are happening to them. But God's not getting any credit for it, and it's futile. It's, it's useless at that point. Useless. Futile. Once again, we see that very good. Lloyd, were you going to say the same thing? <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. I, I attribute that to my teaching. I'm kidding. Completely kidding. <laughs> a little ahead in chapter 2 we see the Jews doing the same thing mm-hmm. that they seek for their own righteousness 
Very good. And this is a very powerful aspect of the argument that Paul is building. And we are, you see him kind of constructing this argument as we go through some of this thing. So uh, they exchanged truth for a lie and thus worshiped the created thing. You'll notice several times that it says, God gave them over. Think about that. Um, God gave them over to the desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions, gave them over. Think about that. Have you ever, have you ever kind of gotten to a point where you give up when you're trying to train or guide someone? And in a sense, it's very clear that that individual child is simply not going to listen to you. What choice do you have? You cannot force the behavior. You have to ultimately give them over to this thing. And as it was mentioned, what happens when someone doesn't uh, acknowledge God, where do they turn? They turn inward. This is a very, in um, in my thinking, a very foundational concept is they become very self-centered, very narcissistic, right? Turning totally inward, um, making them extremely self-centered. And as we see, as God giving them over to a debased mind, to this debased, you think about that, something without foundation, kind of a scary thing, futile, baseless, all of these concepts for when you do not acknowledge God, it's, me- it's meaningless, it's nothing. Yes, yeah. yeah, I was just thinking, you know, I think we should be careful to um, <clears throat> try and make this a black and white issue like uh, polar opposites, but, mm-hmm. but rather see it as a spectrum um, where when you start to uh, insist on your own way, you, you gradually become more and more inward. Um, it just it reminded me uh, that description of giving them over just reminds me of when I was young and I really wanted to go somewhere or do something and I would argue with my mom and trying to convince her to let me go. And at some point she might just say, fine, you do what right, you want to do. Right, right. Right. And so in that small way, you know, I think it's a picture of what it looks like when we in, reject God, we, we, we can see him, we can see his, the evidence of him but we go, we want to go our own way, and then God eventually says, all right, you just go ahead and do what you want to yeah, do. Yeah. Um, and you do become, you turn, turn inward because you've rejected wisdom. Very good. And I totally agree with you in terms of this being a spectrum because there, there are, there's that conscious, right, that conscience, I should say, when it comes to self-serving, a self-serving attitude, right? And it's a path you go down, I feel like, right? And there's ways that you can kind of guard against that. Obviously, we're, we're, we talk about that here in the Bible, but also friends that can help you guard against that. And, you know, uh, Paul even points out what happens not only in the behavior, but receiving in them the penalty uh, due because of their error in some specific senses, um, and so, um, just this whole idea of God giving them over. So, very good. God is essentially letting them turn inward like a corruption, like a rot um, that, that you, you can't really control but need to cut out, uh, in a sense. Very good. 
and also as a follow-up question that we did not get a chance to really talk about, um, had a couple of side conversations after class about this, but how has our modern thinking removed God as the creator? We have accepted a lot of behavior that is in the world, um, kind of this idea uh, that, that, you know, as God turns people over, we've kind of grown accustomed, if you will, to certain, that, that end up pushing God. We talked in the last class about when we're not doing the right thing, when we're doing unrighteousness, it tends to suppress truth, right? And so as we grow more accustomed to unrighteousness, you can see the truth being suppressed, and you can see God getting taken out of the equation, Lloyd? So the easiest one is simply evolution and the teaching of that. So that's totally contrary, and the world is totally buying into it. And, and the idea there, knowing that science can look and perceive all of these things, all of these uh, evidences, and say, well, we're just going to operate under the assumption that there is no God. So what's the next thing? How can we explain this? in a way that, uh, that does that um, anyway. So absolutely, I think that has a, a lot to do with it. Uh, Bob, and then we'll go to Luke. I think, I think this one works here. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I have any quality to say, but uh, at least you'll be able to hear me there whether it's go. good or bad. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if it's modern thinking or not. We call it that. It's modern days for sure, so we define our thinking mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. But you think about everything that's gone on before that's in the pages of our Bibles, and there's nothing new under the sun when it comes yeah. to us yeah. humans. And uh, I think it's just simple idolatry, yeah. like it always has been. Yeah. When, when uh, the Lord, when God destroyed the earth, uh, man's mind was on evil continually. And now the idols are humanism and tolerance and inclusion and science and selfish ambition. Mm-hmm. And we bow down to those things. And when we do that, we remove him from, from our lives. Very well put. It is not a modern problem, is it? It, it is a human problem always. Uh, absolutely. And, and it, it is called and described by different names throughout time. And yet it really is, to me, once again, this foundational principle of when you accept God, there's this whole host of behaviors that follow. And when you reject God, there's this whole host of behaviors that follow as well. Very good. You have a science degree as well as I do. And one of the things I've noticed is that in the realm of science, your goal is to, to think about the world in the way that the physical laws work. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't really have access to the theological side. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is that what some people do is they look at the world to these, and they say there's all these rules, and this makes sense. So I can make sense out of a lot of the world only looking at the physical side. And they make the leap to say that the only the physical side exists. And you can see this in paper. There was a Harvard study, I want to say it was last year or two, and it was talking about people who go to church on a weekly basis have dramatically reduced rates of depression, suicide, and a whole bunch of other health things. Right. And you look at the conclusion, they can't go to where maybe this works because, and I'm not saying this is why we're Christians, it's not why we're Christians, but maybe this is because there's actually a truth here. They can't look at it that perspective. And you can see it in the conclusions because they really struggle to just say, well, maybe there's something here. I mean, there was a study a while ago about whether or not, and I think we talked about this in the apologetics class, 
looking at whether if you get a bunch of people to pray for other people who have heart conditions, does this show up in medical studies? And the people who were being prayed for didn't even know. And it did show up at a statistically significant rate. And again, when you look at the conclusions, it's kind of funny because they're like, well, we're not going to get into how exactly. this works. But there's, yeah. there's really only one reason, yeah. right? Yeah. There is all of this evidence, and the rejection means that I've got to find the next best thing. I, one, of, one of my favorite kind of concepts in dealing with evidence, as I recall, Don Bunting was giving uh, a series on evidences, and he said, science deals with the material, and this deals with the spiritual. And they're not exactly the same, like you'll never find God in a test tube. You will see evidences for, and you've got to make, but he said that still is um, by God's design that we live by faith. Um, I've got written in my Bible, and this is um, from some time back, but it's a progression. We first tolerate, and then we accept, and then it's approval, and then promotion. Yes, yeah. And so we don't just turn one day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's, it's a progression that way. Kind of, kind of like what I totally agree. Like what Brad was talking about, and that you've summed it up in words that that are very good. And that, that idea of progressing, you can see it at a societal level. You can see it at a global level. You can see that the peaks and valleys, like throughout history, and, and that kind of thing. Rissa, did you have a comment as well? Right. Yes. Yes, when we are very self-sufficient, we tend to push God out of our minds. And in America, that is something that is pushed quite a bit. Uh, self-sufficiency is not a bad thing unless, unless you completely reject God. Jesus also warned about riches in that same idea that when you have this other thing providing sufficiency in the form of money, it is very easy to forget about God. Um, if, if you just do like a quick Google search on why people don't believe God, there are, you know, you get all these different lists, and there are certainly some, uh, some similarities One of them is almost always because of science, (laughs) right? Like, people don't believe God because of science. And all you have to do, and I'm not going to try to refute all of these, like we would probably all have our own answers, but it is funny just that self-sufficiency concept when it's like, you don't have to look that far back to see how wrong we've been about a multitude of things. We will never always be right, and so how, how dare we, you know, have that kind of arrogance to say that we know uh, all of that right now? So, um, you know, we have started to follow the pattern that we see here. If there is not God, then there is only us. And we turn all of our desires, effort, knowledge inward to the, to the finite mind of ourselves rather than the infinite mind of God. Yes. Yeah, Alan? Jeremiah 6.30 talks about the re- how the Lord has rejected them. That's what people have done. God is there for everyone, but there comes a point when he rejects them. 
And I would hate to be that individual that God rejects because of the way I'm living, because of what I'm doing. That's just such, yeah. you know, and Jeremiah was just, you, you've turned to the silver, I reject you. Mm, that is a scary thought, especially when you have come to know God as the supplier and sustainer of all things, right? To have, <laughs> to have him walk away uh, out because of your behavior. If you're, all, if you're at all concerned about that, that probably is a good indicator that God is not going to walk away if you're still looking to repent and kind of uh, come to him. And we're going to actually talk about that a little bit, a little bit as well. Okay. My, my final thought around all of these things, when you go and you look at lists, you know, why people don't believe in God, uh, do you think that those same individuals think that narcissism and selfishness is a good thing? Because that's what I see at the root of all of this. And you can point to a lot of really bad societal and personal and mental problems that all route back to narcissism, to an, uh, uh, a selfishness and a turning inward, because that is not how we were designed to think, to feel, to operate. Uh, and we can try to kid ourselves, but as, as Luke mentioned, these things show up, even in hard evidence sometimes, and, and they're, they're so glaring uh, that, that some people simply still refuse to believe them. Okay, back in Romans chapter 2, Let's go ahead and read. Let's see, who would like to read verses um, 1 through 8? Who wants to read Romans 2, 1 through 8? Ryan, you're going to do that because the mic is right there. (laughs) Romans 2, 1 through 8. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them, do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those, by patience, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury." Very good, thank you. So question number two, uh, who is Paul addressing here at the beginning of chapter two? Talk about that, and then why do you think it was necessary for Paul to address this topic? That second part we're gonna cover uh, a little bit more um, as we go throughout the class, but please feel free to offer your thoughts. He seems to be addressing people who don't think they fall into the chapter one. Okay, very good. I, I don't wanna fall into chapter one, I mean, once again, that's some really harsh language. Uh, <laughs> it feels a bit like a sledgehammer. Uh, if you look at the very last, they are filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, malice, 
They are rife with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, contriver of all sorts of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless. Although they fully know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they also approve of those who practice them. And then he starts, therefore... Therefore, you are without excuse, whoever you are. That's who he's addressing. Whoever you are, when you judge someone else, for what on, uh, on whatever grounds you judge another, you condemn yourself, because you who judge practice the same things. We've got a comment over here. Um, a lot of people think that possibly this is the Jews that he's referring to. Uh, they would be judgmental because we have the law and you're doing all this stuff outside of the law. However, it could apply to either group that is judgmental because of where they are now. Yeah. Uh, okay. You Jews left Rome. Now you're coming back. You know, why'd you leave? Why didn't you stick it? You know, so many ways they could do. And, and so there, there's judgment on each side, and it's all hypocritical. Now, a lot of this does kind of point to the Jews and, and their attitude toward the Gentiles a lot, but doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And when, at first blush, when I read this, I'm like, this sounds like the Jews, because you think about the Gentiles and all the things that they're engaged in, and the Jews would be over there going, well, you're not supposed to do this, and you can't do this, and that kind of thing. Think about, obviously, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Think about how Paul would have to approach this when he's talking about two distinct individual groups of people, and how am I going to build this argument that everyone needs Christ? If you look at the history of the Jews, you see them leaving God and doing a lot of these same things. Very good. Has there been envy and murder and strife and deceit and hostility and all of these things in, in Israel? He's about to make that argument, Alan. This reminds me here, this talk about in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. It reminds me of David in 2 Samuel 12 where Nathan had come to him and he had said to him, this man has done this awful thing. And David was so angry, so angry at this other person. And he said, you are the man. And, and I feel that that's the way we are sometimes. We can look at all these people in chapter one and we can say, these people are just so awful, so terrible. And we become so angry. And he says, you are the same for what your sin is may not be theirs, but you are the man. Very well put. Uh, in that, that same, what I've heard being referred to as the Nathan principle, right? And someone getting angry and pointing fingers and being judgmental. And then Paul says, you, whoever judges these things and you participate in them as well. We draw the conclusion then that self-righteousness is the same as unrighteousness? I think we do. I, I, I think we do. Uh, the whole idea, and I think that's a, a very good comment, the whole idea is that we are insufficient in ourselves to be righteous before God. 
And the whole plan here, the whole idea here, the good news here, the proclamation here is that Jesus is willing to sacrifice for you to be right in the sight of God. Very good. Uh, Brad, and then did, did I see someone? Okay. Okay. That's a really, really good point, right? Like he turns his face against those that are prideful. Very good. Did I see a hand over here? I can't remember. If if I missed you, raise your hand high. Obviously, what this makes me think of, right, is Jesus in Matthew 7, the very famous verse about not judging. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For by the standard you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use will be the measure you receive. Could, um, and we, I don't like being judged. I, I like judging, right? I think that's probably the, the human, uh, and we're going to talk about that, the natural individual uh, loves to judge but hates being judged. Uh, and I think, I think what I would like to point out here is this idea of uh, it's the hypocrisy, it's that self-righteousness that, um, that Jesus really had a problem with because the leaders uh, were holding individuals to a standard that they themselves were not willing to keep. Uh, so for, the, for by the standard you judge, you will be judged, and the measure you use will be the measure you receive. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye while there is a beam in your own? You hypocrite. First remove the beam from your own eye. And then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It turns from this judgmental, one-sided kind of thing into a mutually beneficial scenario where you're humbling yourself so that you can help other individuals. Um, And the problem there was the hypocrisy in judgment. Could the Jews condemn the Gentiles? Yes, they could. And the Gentiles could condemn the Jews. Mm -hmm. And they can condemn themselves. (laughs) Because we are all lost and without hope unless we have Jesus. Very good. Absolutely. Uh, In this idea that I'm sure it was probably very easy for the Jews to condemn the Gentiles because they had lived under theocracy and they had the temple and they had all of these things. But then once again, you look at this list and did you see this in even some of the leaders, in a lot of the leaders of God's chosen people? You saw all of those, those um, behaviors. Yeah. And, and you don't even need to see in these verses, okay, are they condemning from the same things because they committed the same things? Maybe, maybe not. But what they have committed is sin. And what everyone needs to understand is the person I'm trying to talk to and show some, that they're doing something wrong, I'm just as big a sinner as they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets forgotten in a lot of these attitudes. There's, there's no humble in, in the judgment. Very good. There's no humility in the judgment. 
I'll, I'll bring it. We'll bring you a, a mic. <laughs> I just was sitting here thinking about that. That's probably the very reason why it's hard for us to go to someone if we see a problem. Don't you think that kind of plays into it? Because we yeah. don't feel mm-hmm. worthy to do that because, you know, we've had the same problem or we have a different problem. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it, it causes a difficulty in that part of our relationships with other Christians. Uh, even when we know maybe we should point something yeah. out, it's hard to do that. I'm going to put you on the spot, is that okay? You got the microphone still. (laughs) (laughs) To all of you, what is a good judgment? What is good judgment, right? Like, I completely agree with you. It is difficult for us to go because we are worried about being self-righteous. Telling people something like that is difficult. Uh, And so what... Think about what would be a right judgment. So you look at the, the, um, the, the situation in Matthew 7. The idea is to remove the speck from yours so that you can help them remove the speck from theirs. There's a mutually beneficial relationship. Neither one of those sounds really comfortable, right? Like both of those things sound really, really bad, right? I don't want anything like that in my eye. No one does. And I want to help you remove that also need to make sure that it's out of my eye before I help you with yours. I think, I, I will just go ahead and say, like when it comes to parenting, right, there are some things that you have to do because you had the wisdom, you had the experience, and no, I don't want to put my kid through discomfort unless they need it, unless that I know that they're on a path where my discomfort is much less than the discomfort that they could experience if they keep going down that path. So I really hope that what I'm conveying here is this sense of self-righteousness, is the hypocrisy behind this, because I do think there is room, right, for us to sometimes rebuke, right, and sometimes correct, but we see good examples of that always being done in humility, yeah. Um, to make that work is that we are living transparent lives with each yeah. other so that we know each other well enough and trust each other enough that, that we can come alongside and, and rebuke. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I think about, <laughs> have you ever had to babysit someone else's kids? <laughs> you can't discipline in the same way. But it does go towards the strength of the connection with that individual is very important. And the beautiful thing is, we're told to constantly build that. Probably for a reason, when we look at the way that God describes the body of Christ as systems in the body, and one of those gets ill, or I stub my toe and everything kind of goes to react, or something like that, there's design in that, right? And so things do need to be tight-knit. Relationships do need to be close uh, in order for that to be really effective. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think one aspect to being having that good judgment is that if you're going to go, if we're talking about like us dealing with somebody else's sin, is us going to a judged person as a judged person? Mm-hmm. Right? We're not saying mm-hmm. we're any better. We're saying I'm in the same boat. Let's, ha- let's see how we can yeah. work this out together. Yeah. yeah. And oftentimes, I, I've heard this, I've said it myself, I've heard many people relay that when they have gone through temptation and have fallen, they're equipped are they not, to help an, another individual see past what they're in right at that moment? 
right? And they've got that wisdom and they've got the experience and those things can be used. Um, and I, I'm not condoning that we specifically get into situations just so we can have the experiences to help someone else. It would be better not to have to go, to go through those. But they can be used. And I think it goes towards this, well, I'm judged and I might need to help you through judgment as well. Yeah. I think the, uh, one of the main things would be to judge you know, it says in the way you judge, you will be judged. If we just kept that in mind, regardless of where we were on the scale, yes. if we judged in the same way yes. we wanted to be judged, it would affect that. But obviously, he's looking for righteous judgment using the righteous judge as our base to, to do those things. Very good. I think that's great. Like, when you think, like, think about right now, if you had something and you were like, how would I want to be judged, right? I was involved in this thing, and, and I really don't want to be in that thing. How would I want someone to, that's really how we should kind of a, approach this. Uh, very good. The, another example that I had was from Matthew 15, when it talks about, um, you know, the Pharisees were asking, why don't your disciples obey the tradition of their elders? And he talks about, um, uh, why do you disobey the commandment of God? Because of your traditions. Honor your father and mother. And whoever insults his father or mother must be put to, get, to death. But you say, if someone tells his mother or father, whatever helps you would have been received, whatever help you would have received from me is given to God. He does not need to honor his, his father. You have nullified the word of God on account of your traditions, hypocrites. Um, I believe that Paul is building up to a conclusion. He's starting to put the, the blocks in place and building this argument that there is uh, the idea that everyone ultimately needs Christ. And so he says, whoever you are who judge but do the same thing, and that's the tricky part, right? This judgment and my perception could be very broad. They could say, you really shouldn't be doing that idolatry over there, <laughs> right? It's really easy to see that very specific thing, and yet the Israelites or the Jews have broken that principle many, many times. Okay, uh, back in Romans chapter 2, I asked question number 3, rephrase verses 2 and 3 in your own words. Uh, uh, verses 2 and 3 says, Now we know that God's judgment is in accordance with truth against those who practice such things. And do you think, whoever you are, when you judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape God's judgment? What do you guys think about that? When we judge, when we judge someone, what details are we operating, operating on? It may be something we see. It may be something we're told. Uh, second hand, third hand, whatever. Um, and so we are seeing a set of details. What does God see? Everything. He knows all truth. And so this idea that we know that God's judgment is in accordance with truth. So when God judges, he always judges righteously. When God condemns, he always condemns righteously. And do you think whoever you are, when you judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape God's judgment? Um, is it possible for us to know all truth? some heads shaking. It is impossible. 
for us to know all truth. I will rebut my own statement by saying, not for us, but we are assured we're given enough to be pleasing to God. 2 Timothy 3 and 17, we're thoroughly equipped to do good works. But when it comes to behavior, when it comes to the heart of man, we do not possess the ability to know full truth, but God does. And the argument he's making is that, do you think that you're going to escape God's judgment being a terrible judge of someone and then doing the same thing where we have God as the most perfect judge. God knows and created all truth, so we can reason that his judgment is perfect. His ability to perceive hypocrisy is perfect as well. So in verse 4, uh, do you have contempt, contempt for the wealth of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, and yet, do not know that God's kindness leads you to repentance. What is he saying there in verse 4? Do you have contempt for wealth of his kindness? Maybe a different translation. Do you think lightly? Okay, very good. Do you think lightly of, uh, of God's kindness, his patience, his forbearance? I always relate this to kids, right? Like, uh, you, you know, you're trying to be a little lenient, and the child just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, and that ultimately runs out, right, at some point. Um, <laughs> we're hoping that the lenience or the patience that we give an individual is that it gives them a little bit more time to really grasp the principle that we're trying to teach them. Uh, and, and so this idea that God is giving you some, some room to grow, to learn, are you just going to cast that aside when you don't Repent when you do not change your heart. We got two, Bob, and then we'll go to Alan. Very good. Yeah. Right when he talks about um, uh, sacrificing uh, the bull, like you're breaking a dog's neck, right? It had become such a rote exercise that the taking of life no longer impacted them. It was supposed to evoke emotion. It was supposed to evoke this idea that this innocent thing has to bleed out in front of me because of, of sin. Now, all this that knowing not knowing what God is doing in this, you know, Isaiah thirty says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is the God of justice, blessed are those who wait for him. Therefore he is gracious, he waits to be gracious to you. He's waiting for that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's there. Yes. And what but, happens when you don't take that opportunity? You're making light of that. You're, you're, uh, you're, you have contempt for his patience. Bob? Uh, this, this works. <laughs> uh, verse 3, uh, just noting, noting that phrase, passing judgment. Oh, man, when you pass judgment, mm -hmm. when you step into the shoes of God. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then in verse 4, he describes what's 
missing from them when they step into the shoes of God. And it's this, this, this grace and mercy that God has shown to all people. Do we have that? And are we, are we endeavoring to shepherd an erring heart to the Lord himself? You Very know? good. Yeah. yeah. I like that, that visual of stepping into the shoes of God, uh, Brad. It reminds me of Hebrews 10. When he's talking about if we deliberately keep on sinning, after mm-hmm. having received mm-hmm. the knowledge, it says uh, how much sub- more severely than someone who broke the law of Moses, how much more severely would someone be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and has treated as unholy the blood of the covenant and insulted or outraged the spirit of grace. Always, like, I want to show you mercy, yeah. but you're outraging you're making the spirit of grace uncomfortable. Uh, that always gives me chills because that is a high insult to the very core of this relationship that we have. The blood of the covenant, that is the thing, right? And it all is because Jesus was came as a man, died, and even died a humiliating death. That blood of the covenant is the thing that binds us back to God. Very good. Yeah, right. I think these people in chapters one and two are really cut from the same cloth more than you might realize at first. Um, they're both just living for themselves and doing whatever they want to make themselves feel good. Um, someone once said, uh, sometimes um, a person's own particular preference of selfishness is being religious. It makes them feel better than other people. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So the outward appearance of trying to do right and maybe even quietly to themselves, being judgmental of everyone who doesn't measure up to their own particular carefully crafted standard. Uh, it, it's really just selfishness in the same way that you know, outward worldly, worldliness is. Very good, absolutely. And once again, we come back to this concept that when you deny, even if you know that there is a God, but you deny his authority, right? Like things turn inward and you get selfish. And it's a very distinct path. And I do think that Paul is starting to level the playing field, Ryan. You kind of make this comment that everyone's really cut from the same cloth here, religious or heathen, if you will. It kind of, if God is not the focus, you see some of the same behavior. And so uh, God rewards according to people's uh, works, eternal life for those who seek glory, honor, immortality, wrath and anger for those who live in selfish ambition and follow unrighteousness. I think that there is such wisdom in approaching this argument first by tearing down all of the ammunition on both sides, if you will. Um, You know, trying to get two groups of very different backgrounds is the first start of of growing in unity. Get rid of the hypocrisy. Get rid of the self-righteousness. And and get rid of that, uh, I don't trust them because. Uh, look at what they're doing over there. You know, that kind of language. Tear all of that down uh, in this argument. Remember that hypocrisy can be viewed in a very broad spectrum as well. And so it may have been very easy for the Jews to condemn the Gentiles. And yet, when you look a little closer, they were guilty of the same exact things. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer 
everyone, this idea. So there's a principle here for me as I think about, I think Rissa had mentioned it earlier, when we're talking to the people on the outside, how are we to approach them? How are we to gain individuals uh, towards uh, God? And uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 and 19 specifically he says, in order to gain even more people, to the Jews I became like a Jew, to gain the Jews, to those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to gain those under the law. And so this idea of Paul <laughs> eradicating any notion of status and humiliating, in a general sense, both sides, because both sides and we ourselves need to be humiliated in the sight of God uh, unless we bring Christ into the picture. Very good. Any other questions or comments that I missed? Yeah, Brad's quotation of Hebrews makes a lot of sense. And there was something, I wasn't sure I totally agree with it, but I think I do now. Uh, there's a, uh, you might have heard of the mass murderer, Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> and apparently it's from Netflix special on I didn't watch that, but... He became, supposedly he became a Christian later in life, and there's a recent interview with the preacher, and the preacher converted him, and he said that Dahmer was reading the Bible, and he said, I think I'm the chiefest of sinners. He said, what I did was worse than Paul. And the preacher thought about it for a minute, and he said, I'm not sure Paul would agree with you, <laughs> because at least you were an atheist. You didn't know, but Paul was a, was a follower. He was a Jew, right? right? Right. He was supposed to be the teacher, the rescuer to these other people. I had no excuse. This is what he thinks Paul would say. Yes. And yet Paul did things that led yeah. to people's deaths. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, uh, really incredible to, to think about. And so as we look at this kind of tearing down, go back to verse 9. There will be affliction and distress on everyone who does evil, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good who does good for the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Now, wow, boy, I, I did that just near perfectly. Um, that is really the goal of what he's saying here, breaking down this hypocrisy, because there is no partiality with God. And I do think it's easy for me to, to, to think that, but I don't think I've ever been in a situation that where two groups at the same place we're that diametrically opposed, right? And we might want to think about that. There is no partiality with God. Thank you so much for your participation, and Chris will we'll pick it up on Sunday.